0: tyler i'm megan and this is the office hours the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great american story and tonight we're doing it with beer
1: we are we are on theme our episode of the night is booze cruise we're doing a late recording and felt like we needed to uh get in with the booze cruise
0: It feels like this could be a game changer for the podcast. Honestly. I think uh, the addition of alcohol is a really great idea. And I don't know why it took us till season two to get there.
1: Yeah. I mean, if the office has taught us anything. Based on the Christmas party.
0: (laughs) So I assume then you have like,
1: yeah, so that really, that was one of the, one of the takeaways. And so we're going to run with that.
0: Is that why you're drinking from just a, a big bottle of vodka? <laughs>
1: yeah. Inspired by uh, Meredith's tastes and Michael's purchases. Um, Tell me about your, your drink of choice there. Okay. So I, will tell you, I was feeling really tired and thinking at first I should go with something really light and I was going to get a Miller High Life light. Nice. But then I've decided you've already given me a reputation as kind of a beer snob. And so I decided I needed something a little more craft. And so this is from my favorite local brewery in Evanston, Illinois called Sketchbook Brewing. It started out as this little tiny place. And it's, it's grown. They've got two locations and they're producing a lot more now. But this is called Amistosa. It is a Mexican-style lager. Mm. It is light, but also, I would say, complex and delicious. So highly recommend it. Shout out to Sketchbook.
0: Yeah. And if they're interested in sponsoring a scrappy little podcast about the office by yeah. two underpaid professors, uh, we are so ready to shill for you. Uh, <laughs>
1: I think that they would connect with and appreciate being scrappy and little. So I think that that this is more promising than, say, Chili's.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As you were talking, I was like, you know, this I have given you a reputation as a beer snob. And uh, but at the same time, the fact that you wanted the Miller High Life as well, I think that that's (laughs) that's the um, the spectrum of Megan. You know, it's like you have. Elite tastes and interests, and then you also love and appreciate the Bachelor, Chilies, and a Miller Light. You know, I think that that's uh what's so wonderful about you.
1: Thank you. I, I am a multi-dimensional person. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Tyler, tell us about tell us about yours. Uh,
0: so, I'm drinking a Fat Tire, uh, which is the uh, you know an amber ale. I don't know. It says it was established in 1991 in Colorado. I'm looking at the at the can. So I desperately have something to say because I don't know anything about beer <laughs> and I normally don't drink it. I, uh, I like wine. Speaking of snobbery, I prefer a red wine, <laughs> a Malbec really would be great for me or a
1: nice specificity.
0: Uh, yeah. You know, a, a Tempranillo, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but I did think about making like a cocktail and then I was also like, nah, I don't want to be hungover tomorrow. So <laughs> I'm just like, I'm going to, check out the beers that we have in our fridge and i almost uh drank the corona but then i had this thought where i was like oh no i i'm not really sure i can't i can't reconstruct it i was either worried you would judge me or the listeners (laughs) would judge me but i was worried that someone would judge me (laughs) oh yeah
1: (laughs) interestingly enough i do not have any coronas in my fridge because when I was watching the episode, I actually thought, oh, I would like to maybe have a Corona during the episode because our friend from corporate, Brenda, I believe, is drinking a Corona.
0: I have a lot of questions about corporate and the plot of this episode. <laughs> uh, I was yeah, anyway. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, do you have any any uh, revisions or regrets?
1: Any? Uh... I do.
0: Oh, I do. you guys I do.
1: come in hot. All right. I always come in with regrets which uh tells us a lot about me so last time when we did the Christmas episode I felt like we had a really big oversight in not talking about the opening at all Mm. and that is when Dwight and Michael are hauling in this Christmas tree that is enormous and way too big to get it through the door and I just wanted to mention this in particularly, they find out it's too big. So when they lift it, it goes through the, what do you call that kind of ceiling? You know, like a drop ceiling, I guess, you know, like little tile things. So it goes up into the ceiling and so they have to shorten it. And Kevin cuts the trunk using a paper cutter.
0: Yes. And
1: I just felt like that was the perfect yes. layering of cutting yes. a tree that makes paper with the cutter of paper. I just felt like it was really kind of an elegant thing delivered very inelegantly as he tries to hack apart
0: a tree. That is so wonderful. I'm so glad you brought that up. I also did not make I remember noticing that and being like, oh my God, that's really uh-huh. funny. But I did not make the connection that trees are the thing that make paper. <laughs> and <laughs> so in a way, he's, you know, just uh cutting out the middleman, I guess, or whatever. But <laughs> Uh,
1: yeah yeah and I didn't either until watching it for the millionth time for this recording and then it just kind of dawned on me oh here we go there's something to this so that's my that's my one regret a big omission I felt like that was just a perfect moment in the show Tyler any revisions or regrets for you
0: uh no I mean unlike my life I have no regrets uh right now so (laughs) I'm, I'm ready ready to dive in um, yeah, let me pull up the uh, description. I just accidentally closed it. Um. It. Where is it?
1: Uh... You want me to read it?
0: Oh yeah, it. sure.
1: Yeah, all right. I, I printed it out. Nice. Um, all right. So here's our summary of season two, episode 11 of Booze Cruise. Michael tries to motivate Donder Mifflin crew with a surprise Harbor cruise. A buzzed gem makes a confession.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Cause that is not the summary I had. Uh oh, really? Yeah, I got my, I'm not sure yeah. if I got mine from the correct thing, but it ended it emphasized Michael ending up in the brig. Um <laughs> so it's really interesting because I because one of the things I'm really excited to talk about is like, wait, what is the plot of this episode? Actually, mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah.
0: But before we get to any of that, uh the opening. The very first shot, the very first sound is Jim chomping on a Dorito flavor, nacho cheese. Mm. And my first question for you, and I noticed because in the vending machine is Cool Ranch Doritos. So uh, my very first question to you is Doritos, what do you think? (laughs) And uh, which, what is your favorite Dorito flavor, if you even like Doritos at all?
1: Good question. I am for them. This is a liking that I've taken on more recently in adulthood. I was not always really into Doritos, but I now love them. And I have to say that whenever I visit my sister and my brother-in-law who live in the Virgin Islands in St. Thomas, it's beautiful. Whenever we go and have a picnic beach lunch, we eat Doritos. So I also have this really strong association now between Doritos and beautiful beaches and relaxing days. Um so I would recommend them as a beach snack. In terms of the flavor, I think I'm really open to all of them. I don't have a strong a strong preference. Though I'll say I'm really glad you brought up the vending machine because I have a lot of feelings about the vending machine. What's your take on Doritos? I think they're a controversial chip actually. Really? You I know what? I like, think They should be more controversial than they I are. I
0: agree. I feel that they should be. I feel that they are. At <laughs> least my impression is that that for far too long, Americans have accepted Doritos as the de facto chip. And uh, I don't know. I I've never been, they've never been my number one. I've always felt. Yes. They always have let me down a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. they, um, much like the democratic party, you know, they promise a lot and then they don't follow through and all I'm left with is like kind of, you know, junk on my fingers. You know, I don't like, if like, for example, if I'm going to eat a Cheeto, I'm here for it. You know, I'm going to get cheesy fingers. That's worth it to me. But the, so it's a messy chip. And then I really only like the nacho cheese flavor. I don't like the cool ranch. I don't like the um, there's like a, Thai chili or something like that. And I have to say, Jenna always makes fun of me for this, but I think that the cool ranch it's a little spicy. And, uh, I <laughs> think I do think this reveals like just how white bread my palate is, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, but so, yeah, I don't know. I guess if I was going to pick a chip, it might be, you know, more of a, of a, like a classic, you know, potato chip type, uh, yeah. situation, um, like in Pennsylvania, it would be a hers chip. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. had hers or if they translate
1: to the Midwest. I do not think I have had hers, but I am really with you on the superiority of potato chips. And I just love your point about Americans that got into the Dorito empire. I feel like it's the hegemony of Doritos. You know that <laughs> we, that They are indeed the best. Uh,
0: you it know it's gonna a be a good episode that. when you start by saying hegemony of Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about <laughs> the vending machine. Tell me your thoughts on the vending machine.
1: So you might recall that I have had a problem with the Dunder vending Dunder machine in the past.
0: I and that got so what? Where they
1: have all the things in it basically oh, yes. backwards, so none of the labels showed. Right. This episode it is different. So things are sort of blocked by. So the scene is Jim as a prank has put all of Dwight's things into the vending machine, like his pencil cup and his wallet and the stuff on his desk. So that's covering some of the food, but they're facing forward now and they have very recognizable brands. So like you said, there's Doritos Cool Ranch, but I guess to avoid the product placement issue or something, there's always a sticker over part of the chip or candy name so it looks like there's blue painter's tape almost over the Ahoy and Chips Ahoy. No way. And so it feels like they're doing something so that they're not quite placing the product, but they're still giving us the actual and recognizable label. And I have to say, I hadn't thought about Chips Ahoy in a long time, but it made me think about them and really want to go buy them. And I just yeah. haven't been in a grocery store since, but that's on my list. Which so is why we, product placement works. Do you
0: think Doritos like paid for product placement and Chips Ahoy
1: did This is a great question. I sort of feel like, wait, did Doritos though, did it have a sticker over the label somewhere? And uh, it what, yeah. it always shows part of it. So like part of the real name is there and it just covers up something. I'm kind so- of like, you know, when they make fake designer bags and stuff like that, and you just change a letter and
0: yeah, yeah. A
1: product or something like that. Yeah. It's kind of like that.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I don't remember how much. I think the Doritos thing was so recognizable. Yeah. But I'm not actually sure whether it was showing. That's really interesting. Um, Huh. I had a lot of questions about the vending machine guy, Steve. And I really want to know if we're going to meet him ever. Um, But I really like this as an expansion of the office universe. um, Because (laughs) it was like... I had, you know, I, I was like, yeah, how did he get all these things in? And it's like, uh, uh, Dwight says like, oh, you're friends with Steve, the vet ben- or you're friends with the vending machine guy. And he's like, oh, who's Steve? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just, I don't know. It's, I I loved that. And I was like, oh, I really want a Steve episode.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love that. What a, what a nice little solution too to explaining, like you said, how it is. that Jim actually gets in there and. Does that stuff?
0: Um, I had a philosophical question to ask you uh in response to this scene, which is um, are the things in the vending machine Dwight's? Or are they the offices? Like, does he own them? Like his pencil cup, (laughs) does an employee own their stuff? I mean, the wallet, I'll I'll grant you the wallet, but
1: yeah, that's a great question. Does an employee own their stuff? Like if you walk away with the stapler that is currently on your desk, are you technically stealing from the university?
0: Right, right, right. I feel <laughs> like they would say yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Pam does at one point say when Michael's pretending to fire her, I've never stolen as much as a paperclip. I was going to say post-it note, but I think it's paperclip. I've never stolen as much as a paperclip, which does suggest that those things are indeed... The property of Dunder Mifflin, unless I guess you bring in your own pencil cup.
0: Mm. Uh, Yeah, I need. I really think the scene would have been better if they explained that. (laughs) Yeah, we (laughs)
1: don't really know the history of the pencil (laughs) pencil.
0: (laughs) cup. Remember when you gave me this pencil cup for my birthday?
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's a that's a great question though about office sort of territory and ownership.
0: Um. Yeah, I don't know, but I did really love just Pam coming in and acting as if it was a natural thing. Yes. Ooh, pencil cup. Like, (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts on Pam in this episode, and from top to bottom, I thought the um, actress was amazing, but I also thought that she was, like, really, I don't know, that she was peak Pam for me.
1: Mm. Um, Okay, tell us about that. What is peak Pam?
0: I don't know. I just felt like she was the most quintessential version of the character that we've Uh seen. And like, even in that opening bit where it's like, she's so, she's playing it straight with Dwight. And then, um, Mm -hmm.
1: uh,
0: and so sort of not, not winking really in the way that Jim does through the jokes, even though we know and she knows, and he knows, of course. Um, but then also I felt like she was super flirtatious, um, in this episode with jim in a way that like didn't give it like like i thought it's i'm really interested in the writing of the romance because like yeah i really believe that she is unconsciously uh flirting with him or like can't admit to herself or Mm -hmm. won't you know recognize it you know and it's like right after this scene when um she's talking about uh bringing a toothbrush to brush their teeth or whatever just the way that she reads the line about brushing her mm. teeth was like I, so flirty i don't know it was just something really i mean Jim's flirting too but we know that he likes her and he knows so it's not
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah i don't know I, that's all I have i just i just thought Pam yeah. was fascinating in this episode
1: you see in that scene yet yeah, when they're talking about the toothbrush and the packing list from michael how much delightful fun they have together Mm -hmm. and you're right i think the love tension in this i think this is another very office thing that just also peaks in this episode is the sort of um like electric kind of spark of like touching but not touching yeah magnets or something of of jim and pam
0: I love a will they won't they and this episode really scratched that itch for me I was like oh my god just tell her
1: just tell her it's very satisfying but the fact that he doesn't is also what makes it so satisfying
0: yeah totally totally um yeah did you have any other thoughts on the opening Uh, I'm just uh, in my notes I just hate have Dwight Nichols that's all I have
1: (laughs) Dwight Nichols that covered it I really was very fixated on the uh on the vending machine.
0: I do think this episode really establishes that part of what makes Dwight annoying is that he's stupid um, hmm. or something like that, or he's dead, like he's gullible or he, I don't, you know, something about the juxtaposition of him thinking of himself as very smart and capable and yet being, uh, you know, totally aloof. So the fact yeah. that he's like, okay, you know, I'm going to put Nichols in here, you know, it's not like he runs to Michael to get a key to the vending machine or something like that, he, yeah. in the same way that my, you know my favorite joke is him steering the ship, yes, <laughs> only to realize that it, it's not real.
1: And he has that interview where he talks about his skills and how he flew a Pan Am airplane or something when he was four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just that belief. In himself and maybe we can envy Dwight for that yeah
0: you know what yeah maybe that's why I like him so much
1: like he has confidence belief in himself and I love the shot that it makes where it's the images of him steering his kind of old school ship wheel and then it just kind of pans up and there's the (laughs) actual captain like I don't know if he's the captain but the driver of the boat in there just looking forward serious all that
0: now you've seen this episode many times I watched it just once for this so I need you to help explain to me what is happening <laughs> <laughs> So what I understood I get the idea that that Michael is having a like a a, a camaraderie event or whatever you call it. you know basically huh? like it's a a retreat I get that mm-hmm. Um Yeah why is corporate there and why what why, like, why does he need to give a speech on motivation? Is it because they're there, <laughs> or because he's really committed to it? I couldn't understand that running plot where it's like he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna now I'm gonna give this speech, and he keeps getting disrupted. But I was like, why does he need to give the speech in the first place? Does he want? Did I just miss it? Was I not watching close enough? I
1: don't know that it's there. <laughs> I mean, we don't get Brenda's presence explained at all I don't think so he has this plan and I'll say there is the interview with Oscar where Oscar says last year his theme was bowling down the competition so <laughs> you know you can guess what we did so it establishes that this is something Michael does he does these sort of motivational retreats but the level of substance that's to be expected it seems like he's really all about the word play <laughs> and choosing his retreats, so bowling down the competition and this leadership on a ship, I have no idea why corporate is there in some kind of supervision capacity. I wonder if it's partly, do you think corporate pays for this? You know, like there's some, but some sort of retreat budget that it's like, we're going to kind of keep an eye on you or we want to see what kind of leadership training you're offering your employees.
0: Oh that makes total sense.
1: Yeah. I don't know. But what what were your feelings about Brenda? How how did you respond to her, Tyler? Uh
0: I really liked her hair. Um your I know hair. that that's superficial, but she didn't have a lot else going on as a character, so.
1: Yeah, but a nice nice short haircut. Yeah, understand?
0: I like that. Uh I don't know. I really was just like, wait, what's I didn't understand she, she's playing it like the actor is playing it like her job is to um, supervise him. And yet like nothing in the story really establishes that. So I was like, and Michael's point of view is that she's there to learn from him.
1: So I was
0: like, wait, did she get in trouble? I started to create this backstory where like she got in trouble and like, this is her punishment to like go to Scram <laughs> and like have to, you know, report back on what his leadership thing is. Or so, I don't know.
1: Um, That's a good point because this does not seem like a desirable corporate job I will say she felt super corporate like her entire vibe is very different than anybody else in this branch and I am reminded of when Michael first describes Jan Levinson Gould and says Jan is cold if you sat across from her on a train you might think she was dead (laughs) and I think we could say the same of Brenda that's interesting it is
0: very interesting I mean I haven't because we watch these episodes like so far apart I, it's hard for me to like see the bigger patterns sometimes so but like it is an interesting choice to make corporate uh, women so far essentially like yeah, you're right. or at least primarily like the people that deal with michael are women and they're women yeah. who have like a kind of um mm, more of an edge or a like a you know more of a butch vibe or something like, or at least he interprets them that way or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't have anything to say about that other than it's
1: kind of hard or cold or removed, like not, not feminine in the way that they're kind of supposed to be right. Feminine, approachable and all that.
0: It's interesting too. She has no, as far as I remember, does she really have any conversation with anyone else from the branch? I'm trying to remember, like maybe a stray line but she's really isolated even on the ship yeah. which is kind of interesting
1: yeah you're right yeah she does seem like she remains really isolated throughout
0: and you know a ship is also leadership
1: yes let's talk about michael's um, <laughs> michael's plans here so he's taking them on a booze cruise on lake wall in january oh first of all real
0: lake i looked it up
1: Wait, don't you know this from Pennsylvania?
0: I mean, I, well, yeah, I am I from Pennsylvania. Ask about your
1: Pennsylvania background and your experience of Lake Wallenpaw Pack.
0: I really do feel, you know, I should Pennsylvania explain more or something, you yeah, know? please. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't know anything about any of this. So I was like, is that <laughs> fake? And then Googled it and I was like, oh, that's real. I don't know lakes. You real. Know. I don't know. So
1: I looked it up too. It looked lovely. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. Sorry. I, keep was, going. <laughs> I was looking actually at the tourism website for like, and I, I was actually just looking you at were my trying to to book you,
0: a booze cruise for us. Is that what you were doing? You want to retreat for the podcast?
1: I did. I did think about it. Oh, here it is. Lake Paw pack. I can never quite capture what they're saying. Like sometimes it sounds like there's an L like and Paw pack, but anyway, Lake Paw pack. Um, So Michael has this this plan. He's going to take them on a booze cruise. It's all based on the ship that is in leadership (laughs) as well as an interpretation of Titanic. I really want to talk about that. Oh, yes. First of all, just one of the things that I love is in his interview when he talks about being a great motivational speaker and he talks about Tony Robbins.
0: Yeah.
1: So let me read this this quote. Michael says, I am a great motivational speaker. I attended a Tony Robbins event by the airport last year, and it wasn't the actual course. You have to pay for the actual course, but it talked about the actual course. And I've incorporated a lot of his ideas into my course, leadership. And he goes on. And I don't really know anything about Tony Robbins, but for some reason, I just thought this was so funny and so perfect. Michael to go to a motivational speaker near the airport and it's not even the actual speaker, yeah. but the kind of promotion for the class. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I just love that line. I did look up Tony Robbins on his website, which describes him as, and I quote, the nation's top life and business strategist. Embrace life coaching sessions from a world authority on leadership psychology today.
0: So, so could he we, does
1: like Michael would be into,
0: do you think we could like pay to have a meeting with him? Do you think, like, is that an option?
1: I do not think that's affordable. <laughs> I think he's, I think this stuff is expensive.
0: Oh, undoubtedly. I, I, I just meant like, could we, if we had a Patreon or whatever, could we get somebody <laughs> to pay for us to, meet with tony
1: robbins Robbins.
0: (laughs) just quickly looking at his wikipedia and uh, lots of controversies oh 2019 sexual harassment and abuse allegations oh boy uh he sounds like that
1: for some reason that does not seem surprising
0: not at all not at all um yeah i i uh i feel like i yeah i don't know anything about him other than the two seconds of Wikipedia that I just skimmed, but I do remember sort of hearing his name associated with that kind of, you know, yeah. motivational approach uh, to business or whatever. And, um, but what I love, yeah, is that Michael just is, it's like reading the abstract, but not reading the paper, or watching the trailer yeah. and assuming you've yeah. seen the movie, you know, and there's just something... Uh-huh. <laughs> very uh funny to me about that but also it feels like a thing that uh I don't know a lot of guys do like that are like oh I, I've heard two seconds about this and so now I'm an expert um <laughs> you know in just the way that I was about to do with Tony Robbins <laughs> for example. <laughs> so you know it's a professional hazard in this gender uh
1: Okay, you were you were citing your source of Wikipedia. So. That's
0: true. That's true. Uh, I will do the research after I'll come back in my revisions and regrets. But you wanted to talk about Titanic, as did I, one of my favorite jokes. And I feel as if uh, a little self-conscious that on the podcast, all I do is say, like, I like this joke. It was funny. But, uh, you know, I liked this joke and it was really funny. It's a
1: big part of watching the show i mean I guess. to me this is an office celebration podcast and to you i think it's quickly becoming that as well
0: it had unfortunately yeah i really like the show now <laughs> but um the uh what do you call it oh the fact that everybody's pretending they haven't seen titanic is so fucking so funny, funny to me
1: <laughs> yes yes I...
0: and then that he wants to oh man this is just so relatable in a way too where he's like he has this preset metaphor about the sails and the furnace and that whatever. And then like, they aren't going with it. and He's just getting so frustrated.
1: Yes. That is really funny. So funny. Let me read into the record, the lines about the Titanic. So when he starts talking about it, he says, who saw the movie Titanic? They were very important in the movie Titanic talking about the um, people in the engine room who saw it show of hands. And Jim's face of confusion there about his confusion about what is Titanic is so good. I think that's some peak Jim. I think that's some Jim charm. Um, and he says, "I'm not really sure what movie you're talking about. You sure you got the some- right?" <laughs> and Pam jumps in and says, "I think you're thinking of Hunt for Red October." <laughs> <laughs> I mean? so- Pam is really killing it in this episode.
0: She just jumped right in. Anyway.
1: She's the queen of improv and yes, anding in yes. this episode. That's true. It's so funny. And I love it that Michael's big takeaway from Titanic is the importance of the engine room workers.
0: Yeah. And isn't it Phyllis who's like everyone drowned in the engine room? Yes. <laughs> and uh, Daryl hits on that perfect, you know, uh, uh, whatever, you know, sales, sale, the sales are the sales of the ship. Um, yes. which is
1: right in line with michael's leadership. you know ship is in leadership and sales is in the sales so it's kind of like he's doing exactly the right thing but it is not the right thing in michael's plan
0: then he hits on the like oh they were so happy uh in the bottom of the ship um (laughs) they were happy dirty grimy singing their ethnic songs and then he's like wait no or because he compares them to the warehouse and then it's like wait no And I thought about you uh, and your kind of claim that maybe we see Michael learn things over the show (laughs) and Uh uh, or at least, you know, he's learned from like diversity day and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, if you wanted to make that case, this is an interesting moment where he like catches himself because he realizes, you know, how it is that he's basically saying the house is the underclass. Um, Yeah. uh, And anyway, it also reminded me, I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but I was teaching. Something and uh, and I had students that were super into Downton Abbey, and um,
1: oh yeah, and I said,
0: Oh yeah, and I think I'd, w- I'd watch, I only watched the first season of it, you know, but I was like, Yeah, like you know, it was good, whatever, but uh, you know, I offered some probably annoying, um, lefty, <laughs> lefty critique of how it represents <laughs> class, and um, but I remember the students, this, this student said, Like, um, no, 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 you don't understand, like the servants like love being servants like it's so great because they have like a place in the society and like they're you know um they know their place basically and i was like hey, boy. like that is <laughs> i was like it is just dis- isn't it a little disturbing you know to you that uh uh the show is making you believe that a and then B, and then on the other hand i was like oh it's even more depressing to think you know the students like dream was basically like could you imagine having a job a guaranteed job like uh yeah <laughs> you know so so it was bleak all around but I definitely was thinking about that with his reading of Titanic where it's like they loved being poor they loved being in the bottom of the ship
1: yes that's yeah. a great okay so you described it as a reading and the the thing about when Phyllis jumps in and she says Michael everyone in the engine room drowns it's kind of a question of reading and like what is a good reading of Titanic Ooh, and what is a bad yeah. reading of Titanic <laughs> right because she comes in and it's like okay we present this additional piece of evidence and what does that do to your reading Michael well and yeah that does kind
0: of come through later where it's like he's gonna say the ship is sinking which I'm excited to talk about but <laughs> um but bef- before that he sets up that scene by saying uh you know, he's going to ask people to think about what do you save? And Captain Jack says women and children. And he says sales and like profit centers or something like that. Is that what he
1: says? (laughs) Yeah. Salesmen and profit
0: centers. (laughs) But then I was like, well, wait a minute. So if the sales people are in the engine room, (laughs) you're going to run down and save just them. And then I was like, well, what are the
1: profit centers of the ship? Like, anyway. (laughs) That's great. I hadn't thought to play out at that point the saving question and connecting it back to the engine room. Hmm.
0: All connected. It's all, you know, Michael Scott makes no mistakes.
1: All connected. It's interesting that Titanic is his sort of aspirational narrative when the Titanic (laughs) (laughs) was
0: Wait, quick, detour. what are your feelings and thoughts on Titanic? Was it a a, a touchstone for you? Where are you at with it?
1: Yeah, it was a touchstone. I was, how old was I then? I don't know, 13, something like that. And young Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie, stunning. Stunning performance.
0: Was he like an awakening for you? Was he like an early, uh, you know crush or yeah. or is that too it was it a late crush at that point i don't know
1: no i uh i think i think leonardo was a strong presence in my in my young life
0: i wanted to go see titanic and it was sold out and so we went to see goodwill hunting instead which i didn't know what that was um but that introduced me to my very unsatisfying crush over the years but like but I fell hard for Ben Affleck. I was like, Oh, I was so I was into Ben Affleck.
1: I was wondering which way were you going to go? Matt Damon or Ben Affleck?
0: Okay, I have so. never understood Matt Damon. I think Matt Damon to me, it makes me question my sexuality in the reverse sense. It makes me think like, maybe I'm not bisexual because I don't <laughs> get it. Like, I just, I'm like, I don't understand how anybody's attracted to Matt Damon. <laughs> and I feel, I feel I'm i not, I'm not, I'm not kink shaming anybody, you know, whatever. But like, I just like, I don't know why. I don't know why. I just have never understood the Matt Damon yeah. at all.
1: So explain the enchantment of Ben Affleck.
0: <laughs> I mean, maybe it's because I like a brunette. You know, that's definitely part of it. I don't know. He has a roguish charm, Megan. He has a, me and J-Lo, we get it. You know, um you guys get
1: it, you do get it. Yeah. he
0: is also definitely like, you know, uh a D-bag, right? Like I don't know, that's my impression of him.
1: The, the brilliant uh janitor mathematician of Matt Damon didn't didn't get you in that movie.
0: No, maybe it's because I wanted to be Matt Damon, I wanted to be the <laughs> janitor. Yeah.
1: You were too you were too jealous, you couldn't face that's right. what Matt Damon really meant for you. <laughs>
0: I love this Freudian reading Yeah, that's it. That's it. I I (laughs) rejected him and I yeah. Yeah. Um wait. Yeah,
1: but also I still like to this day have this kind of affection for Leonardo DiCaprio, even as you know, a middle-aged man on like a ridiculous yacht with lots of 20-year-old babes, if you will. (laughs) So like, oh Leonardo. You know, you were my you were my friend in junior high, and uh, <laughs> I'm still I'm still there for you.
0: I'm waiting for the comeback of that song. You know, it feels like things from the 90s are <laughs> coming back, and that Celine Dion song, that was like I don't know, the middle school dance song or whatever. Like I was obsessed with that song. So um, you know, the Celine Dionna I'm ready for that. Let's let's get that going.
1: <laughs> <Dion-a-sance>. <laughs>
0: Um, you know who I didn't like in this episode? I didn't like Amy Adams saying that they were at the cool table. Uh, I was like, that is mean and rude and also interesting. I mean, I, you know, I, I love Amy Adams as an actress. So I'm just complaining about this character whose name I'm forgetting. What's her name? Katie. Katie. Uh, of course. I just, yeah. I just, I thought that was so, so, I mean, it was a really good writing move to sort of like, she's not um, a villain. She's not a bad person. In fact, I felt really bad for her by the end of the episode. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Just that short little, like, Oh, it's like we're at the cool table at high school was uh, how she perceives. I mean, I guess you could say like, how is that different from Jim and his slacker I'm above or I'm, I'm away from all of it. I don't know. Yeah. What would you make of that moment?
1: I had a lot. I had a lot of feelings about that. Um, One thing that was kind of interesting to me, actually, is the way, like, the dynamics we get when couples couple up. So when we have Pam and Roy and we have Jim and Katie together, yeah, and the way that the connection then, you know, like the kind of cross connections of Roy connecting more to Katie and Pam connecting more to... Jim is really interesting. I was thinking about a question of what do those dynamics of coupling up with with another couple draw out? Oh, interesting. You know, one person, like one person coming in doesn't draw out in the same way. Um, But when you get with the couple, it does. So the thing about the cool table, Roy totally got that. Like Roy was really with her for that whole thing. And he asks, I think, I I can't remember what it is. He asks if she cheered for the high school. So they go back to what high schools they went to. Was she a cheerleader? And um, then uh, Katie asks Pam if she was a cheerleader. And I think Roy says that it's like, no, it's hilarious. She was one of those artsy kids with the turtleneck. And Jim steps in and kind of defends her and says, it's not hilarious, but I don't know. It just, I felt like it kind of tapped into this theory I have that is my theory of men who you should and should not be with. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) And this is that a man who was always cool and always at the cool table and on the football team and all of that stuff is not the one to be with you've got to be with somebody who was a loser at some point this applies to women too I've developed it as a theory of men but it's totally versatile and applies to women too I think it is straight specific because I think that yeah. um you know to go through like junior high and high school being queer, like it all, it already doesn't put you in the standardly celebrated cheerleader or football player position. So right. I think that this is specifically a straight, a straight theory, but um, it felt to me like in that and how excited Roy was about kind of youth popularity and coolness in high school was a big sign of why Jim is better than him for Pam
0: I yeah that there's so much I'm excited to talk about here because (laughs) I want to talk about your theory um but first I'll just say yeah I think you're totally like it was it was really great writing to sort of demonstrate that in a not um yeah it just was like yeah they shouldn't be together he doesn't get her and Jim gets her and he values her and near the end of the episode when he says you know she's so funny and this stuff, it was like we'd seen her be really funny throughout the episode yeah, and seen yeah. her be funny with him. And I was like, oh, this is great romantic comedy writing, you know, because it mm-hmm. really, um, sh- you know, shows it. Uh, and the uh, thing about her being artsy, I thought, I think is really interesting too, because her being artsy represents her being kind of non normative a little bit in the yeah, way yeah. That I think. Jim maybe thinks of him I don't know we'll have to explore that Mm -hmm. further but she's definitely he he values this kind of like difference about her and wants her to develop it like her ambition or whatever um for something more which is interesting because he doesn't really do that for himself um Hmm.
1: that's a good point yeah
0: but of course, yeah, it's like it's the artsy versus it's the nerds versus the jocks, right? It's like yeah. he's a player and a cheerleader, and um, and it's just funny to me, like how those things can continue to last. So I think I think your theory is right on. I have to say something that has always confused me. I feel this sometimes, especially post-COVID, being back out in the world and mm-hmm. socializing with people. I'm trying to think. We went to. um this is going to sound terrible, but we went to this like sort of schmancy restaurant. We were sitting at the bar not too long ago. And, um, but it's like a place where primarily like Cornell people go and like, you know, so fancy business people, primarily businessmen who are like coming in and leaving, you know, they're all, anyway, so they were coming in and getting their martinis or whatever. And they're all wearing like polos and khakis and they're all talking in like these ways that I'm like, oh you really like believe this? Like you really, you don't feel like even just a little bit silly that all of (laughs) this I don't, I sometimes feel this way about like, like when Katie in the episode is like, oh, I want to, I want to be engaged. How did you do that? And I'm like, don't you even feel just like a little bit of like sort of shame (laughs) or irony about what we're supposed to do versus what you want or something like that? Or I don't know, like I feel that my, for better work like i told i'm not like opposed to ordinariness or normativity i'm completely uh normy and ordinary in all kinds of ways. see for example Chili's and Corona but see for example <laughs> but at the same Great
1: time noting like, the podcast
0: <laughs> but i also have you know, i don't know a lot of shame and insecurity and i feel that those are you know uh uh they freeze you up in some way freeze or you know kind of uh, it mm-hmm. can be. I'm trying to think of a, what's a better word? I'm trying not to use the word like, uh, let's see, it can make you feel stuck, you know? Yeah, but yeah. on the other hand, it also like, you know, gives you some some sense of irony about whatever it is that the that the world says you're supposed to be. And so anyway, yeah. that's, that's how I understand the theory that you're saying, like Jen, she always is, um, you know, she'll say like, oh, that person was popular in high school or whatever, you know, like, or they were the bully or something like that and like i think that she sees them as essentially unchanging and i'm, I'm always like, like no you know people blah 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 but like i don't know i'm starting to be persuaded by your and her argument that like <laughs> if you're if you're super popular and then nothing along the way really comes to disrupt your point of view on that then
1: yeah, you know, yeah.
0: The, anyway yeah this is why you and i are super attracted to the formerly um nerdy people on the bachelorette who still have a little little flavor of insecurity, right?
1: Totally. Totally. We love that. Which is why my my uh my acceptance of Leonardo DiCaprio makes no sense because <laughs> that is someone who has never been not hot and not a hot shot and all of that. But still he he's the exception to my rule. But when Jim says or when Roy asks Katie oh did you cheer for them did you notice how Jim quickly says no like he jumps in and is assuming no like this girl I like was not a cheerleader and she says yes I was and she goes into the cheer like A-W-E-S-O-M-E and so I thought that was interesting too because I feel like Jim shares this theory he was like if I like you you could not have been this, what do I want to say? This standardly gorgeous and cool for your entire life.
0: That's interesting.
1: Well, I did,
0: okay. I didn't know. It's interesting how you could read it as like sexism in a way, right? Or it's like, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're this kind of a woman and I don't want that. And I, I yeah, don't. No
1: should have read that
0: <laughs> <laughs> no but like I don't I don't know I think that the episode is trying to set it up as like jocks versus nerds you know and like because like, it's the jocks and the cheerleaders together against yeah. artsy and we but we don't know Jim's backstory really do we well we have that yearbook photo of him looking he nerdy. A,
1: he's a complicated man yeah. because he was good at basketball but look at his yearbook picture. But if he
0: identifies
1: with, yeah,
0: yeah, I don't know. I, it's such an interesting question why he responds, why he's so like, no, of course she wasn't. And then she was, you yeah. know, yeah. what does it say about him to himself if he's with with somebody who was popular and normie? And it's interesting because Pam says, so what's it like dating a cheerleader? Which yeah. is what also hit me about that. It was like, as if they're still in high school or as if like just cuz she was a cheerleader it doesn't mean she still is right like yes whatever yeah. that means um i thought that was yeah.
1: interesting oh that's such an interesting question what is it like dating a cheerleader because that is a status symbol not just for the yes. girl right but for right. the guy dating her and so in this case actually jim has kind of one in some way in terms of yeah. the logic of conquest and what kind of girl gives you that image so I think that that's sort of in the question what's it like dating a cheerleader because like you right. win the idea I think is that you win if you're dating a cheerleader and Roy does not have that he has the turtleneck girl and Jim has the cheerleader girl but that's not the one he
0: you're right
1: wants to be with
0: Oh, that's great. That's a really good point. Um, huh.
1: There's an interesting, really interesting symbolism of yeah, the meaning of being with a cheerleader.
0: And then Pam gets re-engaged in this episode. Um, Pam gets re-engaged. Which is very interesting because it's preceded by what seemed like, um, well, I'll just say, I'll throw a few things out there and we can kind of unpack them. Number one, um, we have that, intense scene with Jim and Pam outside where she's like he doesn't get me and then Jim essentially says nothing his smile kind of falls away and it looks like he's finally going to say like hey i love you or i'm into you or whatever and she shuts it down and says i'm getting cold or something and walks away
1: yeah yeah
0: but so i was like okay so that is on her mind moving into the next moment which is then Roy I think Roy is drunk right and then he's hanging out with Michael and Captain Jack and Captain Jack talking about um, what nearly dying in the Navy and he says really? the thing he thought of was his first wife who he yes. had went home and married
1: <laughs> which is I weird. love it that Roy takes that as inspiration Yeah and it did not work out for Jack and his first wife right? not like, at all wife. His mom, your wife, And so, uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> and Captain Jack
0: smiles at the camera for a long time. Like, he's so proud of what he said. I was like, wait, what? But so, um, so then Roy is like, let's set a date. I was wondering why Roy didn't dress up for the booze cruise. I was like, come on. Like, d- he does not have to wear his warehouse stuff. <laughs> Maybe everybody <laughs> left together. Like, it anyway, but um, so... Yeah. He uh, he says, let's set a date June 10th, which I had a lot of questions about, like feels like first you don't need a date right when you're engaged. But I guess the point is they haven't set a date. And but wouldn't you want to talk to each other about the date? Like I was like, you don't know if a venue is going to be available. What (laughs) if he has plans? I was like, this is how thoughtless this guy is, that he's just like so I don't know performatively impulsive and whatnot but she's excited and seems to show no no um uh, trace of the preceding conversation with Jim um your thoughts
1: oh gosh that I think that is one of the most intense moments the one where they're outside and you know, she talks about not getting Roy and the the thing you said about him, the way that he's looking at her oh. and it's just that quiet, long, getting ready to say something and then not saying it. And this just hanging unspoken thing. Th- that's one of the moments in the office that I feel like makes me a little bit teary eyed, <laughs> like, makes me emotional.
0: Uh, the way it's shot is great. Like she walks away, and he turns towards the sea or whatever the ocean, I, the lake. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. But the camera doesn't show <laughs> us See,
1: you who should have visited Lake Wolin. Pop <laughs> <because they're close, laughs> <close> the
0: ocean. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think I'm not allowed to Pennsylvania explain or anything explain. Uh, anyway, he looks to the water and. Um, but the camera doesn't give us a close-up or even a cut to his face we just see him behind, and i just was like oh that is nice like you know one thing that we we talked about in the very beginning of the podcast is how this show is a sitcom but like also not you know it uses some you know cinematography that has become you know totally conventional now but to have that kind of uh you know composition or whatever is, I you know, I would imagine pretty unusual in most shows like comedies like this on television up till, anyway, maybe not, I don't know, but I liked it.
1: Yeah, sure. You mentioned Roy being drunk at this point. First of all, the snorkel shots. Have you ever seen snorkel shots before?
0: No, should we be doing those?
1: <laughs> maybe, <laughs> it's very interesting, very creative. But on a related note, I actually wanted to take issue with the official Peacock summary, which says a buzzed Jim makes a confession. So when he talks to Michael, I did not feel like there was evidence. And I know buzzed a small degree, but I did not feel like there was evidence of any intoxication on Jim's part. At some point, he's holding a beer, but he's not participating in the snorkel shots. He's not like downing them. Nope. I just felt like this really was a sincere and vulnerable Jim.
0: I felt like that was important. Important that he's sincere. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in
0: contrast to Roy. And Roy's not like hammered, but he's a little drunk, right? He feels Um,
1: slot-ish, I would say. Because if you look at his eyes and stuff, he just looks, you know, not fully in control of his faculties, if you will.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I didn't read I actually think, yeah, it's important not to read. Or I don't unless I miss something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's choosing her. He's choosing her in a more in just a much more sincere way than right. Roy being inspired by Jack's dramatic war story about getting off a boat and marrying your wife. I also wondered if it was significant that his name is Jack, which is the same as Jack from Titanic.
0: Oh, the, man, uh, I didn't put that together.
1: And drowns at the end. So...
0: Oh, that's brilliant. I
1: didn't, know, I didn't know if there was significance in having that name, but it didn't feel like a great sign.
0: I definitely was like trying to put... I was like, okay, you got Captain Jack Sparrow, but that's probably after... I don't know when that comes out, the Pirates movie. But then... Yeah. Oh, and then yeah no that's I. you're totally right um
1: yeah. jack jack dawson is that his name
0: oh, oh you you're acting like you don't know but you totally right. there's like a poster on the other side of the computer isn't there oh um, there
1: was one time
0: <laughs> <laughs> so wait hold on uh what do you think jim was going to say because he goes back over to pam before right right as roy pr- proposes, and um I was just curious what you thought he was going to say or do.
1: I wonder if he even knows exactly what he's going to say, but if it's it's just like that kind of starting to open your mouth thing where you're like, "Uh, you know, I don't know. Like there's something there and I don't quite have the words to put to this or the thing to say. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's about him or if it's about Roy, because she said, sometimes I just don't get Roy. And so part of the conversation is about her lack of connection with Roy. So I wonder too, if it's like, mm, are you sure you want to do this with Roy?
0: Right, right. Yeah. And he's, I mean, even disappointed when he hears from Michael that Roy said, um, oh, the first one didn't count. I thought that was really interesting.
1: Yes. yes.
0: Uh, he's just, he really, it's an interesting way to write how somebody cares for somebody else to like yeah. have this kind of hearsay. Like Michael, so we're never going to, we're not seeing the scene where Roy and Michael talked. And then we mm-hmm. get Michael bringing it up sort of backhanded or offhandedly in the conversation with Jim after. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. But, um, but I did want to ask you uh or I wanted to make a claim to you that this episode is all about teaching. Um oh,
1: yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'll, bite, I'll I'll bite. Okay, go go for it.
0: Michael is desperately trying to teach everybody something. And yeah. uh and I was like, you know what? Maybe in this episode I really relate to Michael <laughs> where it's like yeah. nobody, nobody's listening uh you know all his opportunities to teach keep getting you know stepped on or whatever um yeah uh yeah anyway I, I didn't have a great argument about it but it just it did strike me I was like it was really funny how he keeps trying to give this speech um but I will say those scenes gave me ultimate cringe like the classic office cringe that I hate came back especially when he the two moments that I really liked but Cringy, where him saying, uh, I'm your party captain too. Like the way yeah. he does it, oh, it makes my skin crawl <laughs> Like the way he this performs is that ridiculous. line
1: is so oh, I, I want to try to imitate it, but I know I'm not going to be able oh, to capture God. it. But and yeah, then, it's a very, very particular.
0: Then when he's Wait. dancing and he says, Primal, it's a primal art form used in ancient <laughs> times to express yourself with your body and communicate. And I was like, what does he do? He doesn't need to teach them this. But I was also like, it is true. That is what dance is, I
1: guess. <laughs> He's not wrong. Uh, yeah, he captures the desperation and sense of defeat in teachers. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I thought in the the quote you said about the Iron Party Captain too, it reminded me of the dynamic with Mr. Brown when Mr. Brown is... Yes there for diversity day but he's actually trying to teach something and michael keeps inserting himself and trying to dominate the teaching but there's this they're at odds here where yeah captain jack wants to lead a party and michael wants to educate the people about leadership yeah i don't
0: think i even realized it until this moment how dumb an idea it is to have a retreat on a booze cruise and then try to learn anything (laughs) because Everybody yeah. else on the cruise is there just to drink, right, and go around the lake. Like it's just, it's yeah, it's a night out for limbo and having sex in the in the uh captain's quarters <laughs> or whatever.
1: Which is that itself? Do you think a reference to um? Well, they could have made it more Titanic, dynamic, but yeah. too Titanic. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: The carriage erotica, if you will. But to continue about michael the scene when michael is throwing up and i don't know if this is drinking related if this is ship related if this is anxiety related it's the pressure that he is feeling to teach these people when he is on display um but he's, th- he's sitting inside he's throwing up into a bag or something and brenda comes over and he says i'm on medication vomicillin <laughs> and then- And then that's when he goes up to the mic to tell people that the ship is sinking. Yep. Then people start rushing to pull out the life jackets and a guy jumps out the
0: window. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was another cringe moment. perfect
1: chaos. (laughs) I love Um. that. So so after that is when he's kind of cuffed up to the um, rail of the ship and he says, I'm in the brig, both not as corporate friendly as advertised. <laughs> and what's with the guy jumping overboard? I just thought that was a hilarious and really enjoyable response. And he explains it to Jim too. When Jim comes out to talk to him, <laughs> he said, Michael tells him, Jack, Captain Jack has a problem with authority. <laughs> if you ask me cause the panic. <laughs>
0: that was one of the earlier things he's like a manager is higher than a captain (laughs) but on a ship like it's unclear or something like no it's
1: It's unclear oh which reminds me this is a thing that I want to note about Michael and actually I want to keep like an index and a track one of my favorite things about Michael is when he mispronounces things
0: oh yeah
1: to say it's unclear he's trying to say it's nebulous I think he says it's nebulous yes there's just something about that and he doesn't notice it no one points it out to him so he's not aware of his mispronunciation but it just i don't know why it's so funny to me
0: yeah it was that so was it, that was really really good um well i'm gonna i'm gonna say i don't know i'm not committed to this but i'm just okay. i had written in the scene where he says the ship is sinking and then people take it literally I wrote down performative language (laughs) and I was like, so
1: explain that.
0: (laughs) Yes. The idea that, you know, language acts, that it that it that it um, you know, does something, that it that it has a performative dimension, and that it creates, you know, um, to an extent, its own kind of like social reality, right? Like I
1: like it brings things into being. Yeah. So just describe them.
0: Um so I kept thinking, okay. The classic example of that is the um, "I do," right? Like when you know, yeah. saying "I do" is a performative. Um, so I was like, wow, this episode has the proposal, like, which is kind of a performative, um, like it's a vow, and um, and then it has this one where he's, uh, uh, you know, s- s- saying something. And, I, and he even says, that, like, if only that guy had stayed and, like, listened, you know, to the rest of it, he would have, like, been able to contextualize it or something. But he can't sort of recognize that lang- that his language has consequence in the, in the midst of it or something. I, I don't know. There was something to me about, like, that alongside the silence. Like, like in the beginning of the episode, he he tells them a bunch of fake signifiers of, like, what to pack and Stanley is so pissed. He's like, and he won't say, um, because he wants the surprise to be fun, which I actually was on Michael's side to an extent, but I was also, it was really funny to me that Stanley was like, (laughs) I need to know, am I staying over? Like what's, what's the plan? You know? Um, and then, uh, I was trying, I don't know. I was trying to make some connection with that and Jim, like Jim, not, you know, him staying silent and not saying the thing and then coming close to speech. But if he were to say what yes. he was going to say, it would drastically change everything, right? It would change his relationship with Pam. It would change Pam's relationship with Roy, you know, so on and so forth. Um, yes. So I don't have a theory other than just, I kept thinking, I'm, I'm thinking about performative language or something, something, I don't know.
1: Yes. Oh, I love oh, and then, that. And then it ends
0: with the motivational speech where he's like, don't ever give up, you know, like it, it does seem like it's partly about an episode of oh like, gosh. what can language do or not do? Um,
1: that's yeah, that's so good. You're right. Cause that language, like you said, that classic example of I do, or I now pronounce you husband and wife so that the the language doesn't only describe, but enacts or performs to create, like changes the state of things. Right. And so to say the ship is thinking <laughs> does not describe, but it creates a situation. Yes. yes, yes. Yeah. You know, and I hadn't thought about the fact that he does get to kind of, he started with this reference to Tony Robbins and to being a great motivational speaker. And with Jim, he gets to actually give a motivational speech. <laughs> let's talk about that because I actually think that that is just a beautiful moment actually um I agree agree. and so Jim tells him I used to have a big thing for Pam and Michael is so surprised and he says oh yeah he's like you really hit it well god I usually have a radar for stuff like that (laughs) and I love so you know when Jim says that she's engaged and he can't be with her Michael tells him, well, if you like her so much, don't give up. BFD, Engaged Ain't Married. Yeah. I love it. BFD, big fucking deal abbreviation, Engaged Ain't Married. And Jim kind of says, huh, I'm like, that is a good piece of advice. And well delivered.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I totally, I, I was like, oh my God, like Michael... You know, I I had this moment of like, okay, it is funny. The the joke is that how could anybody not know that Jim is into Pam? It's so obvious, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so this is another example of how dumb or <laughs> dense or aloof Michael is. On the other hand, mm-hmm. I was like, that's, even if he is telling the truth, which he seems to be, that's yeah. like a nice thing. Like, it's a nice thing to say. It's a nice, it's like an accidentally, um sweet thing to sort of not be to not shame him and be like oh so obvious and or to mock him for yeah. it be like oh my god that's so you know I, I was like oh Michael sometimes stumbles into friendship and I think it's those mm. things that make me endeared to him where I'm like oh, okay there's some good core under here um which yeah, I suppose I should question friendship. Right? Like, I don't know, um, but I just I love that. the way he says, I love the way he says it too, BFD, engage a marriage. I don't know. <laughs> and of course, like we're rooting so hard for this romance. So it's like, yeah, break up, yeah. Break up that marriage.
1: <laughs> it's, I really like your point too, that him, the sort of kindness, not that it's intended necessarily, but in not having seen it and not being like, oh, it's so obvious. But when he says, "You really hit it well, it's like he didn't he didn't perceive it as Jim pursuing Pam. But once he sees it, it's kind of like because of the uh, I don't know, the the strength of their bond and their friendship and their connection that it's like, oh, actually, yeah, that really does make sense,
0: yeah, yeah, There's
1: something very sweet about that.
0: I found it, yeah, I found it really sweet. um.
1: Yeah. and then to end it to take it from the kind of like I don't know sort of ridiculous maybe in its wording but sort of poignant moment then we cut to Dwight who says he's taking us to shore and <laughs> Michael just says it's a fake wheel dummy and then he does this little head shake to Jim this kind of
0: yeah yeah
1: you know when you are huh. in say a meeting where somebody is being ridiculous and you can just make eyes at somebody, like you've got a friend across the room or something and you can just quickly look at them and there's this bond and this connection where yeah. you're both being the thing. And I, I just sort of felt like Michael's head shake at Jim was this stumbled into friendship moment that yeah. you described.
0: Oh, totally, totally. I hadn't even thought about it too, but that's Captain Jack is he's he tells Dwight that it's a real that he's steering the ship right like I don't know I don't know if that's a performative or not but it's definitely like a lie but it's like or a fiction <laughs> a
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: but it's a fiction that makes him feel good makes him mm-hmm. feel like a leader like he's in charge like it's an interesting moment when Dwight says Captain Jack's a better leader because he gives me real responsibilities and, uh, <laughs> yeah you know delegate he delegates and like Michael <laughs> doesn't and and then there's that close-up on captain jack like rut row like <laughs> just, i don't know It was really funny to me
1: oh that is
0: funny um is it time for our uh dundies uh, of the week That's
1: exactly what i was gonna say i think it's time for our dundies tyler why don't you start us off
0: okay well so this was a tough one for me uh as you know i often like to go Uh, counterintuitive, non-conventional. So I definitely thought about Steve, the vending machine guy, getting (laughs) my dundee of the week because I was like, you know, he put himself at risk to do this because you could imagine, you know, he could get fired or whatever. And it probably took a bunch of time. Um, But I, you know, I ultimately felt like that wasn't enough. And also we don't get to meet him. So maybe in the future, Steve, you can be my dundee of the week, but for now and I can't believe I'm saying this I'm surprised I'm shocked this <laughs> might be the first time but I'm giving it to Michael Scott uh,
1: for it motivational lasted. speaking yes the motivational speaking award this is so perfect
0: <laughs> I felt like he actually I first I think it's really sweet that he wants to have this retreat I think he cares about people bombing and having a good time um and maybe just cause I'm a person who likes to plan parties and stuff and whatever. I was like totally digging his, like, Oh, I want, I want it to be a fun surprise. He wants to, he wants to give them pleasure. Like he wants to, you know, ha- have a, 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 like a happy event or whatever anyway. Um, and then, yeah. And then the fact that he motivates um, Jim and that he's trying so hard to like make his event work. <laughs> In the constraints yeah. of, the group. I don't know. So yeah, uh because he motivated, I give it to Michael Scott.
1: Yeah, you just said he motivated Jim. Reminds me of when Roy when when Michael says to Roy, "Oh, did I motivate you?" And Roy says, "No, it was Captain Jack." Mm-hmm. And it was Jim who got motivated by Michael, and it turns out Jim was motivated by the right man.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: So my don't of the week is the Interpretive Dance Award, and it goes to Michael. <laughs> what? Yes! So we have two for Michael, two big wins for Michael, but mine, I think, for the scene that you hated the most. <laughs> and that is when he is dancing. So when Michael's dancing, it sort of involves kind of spreading his legs and sort of squatting and getting a little low, lots of knee slapping, lots of open thighs, Going down on the floor to do this really failed worm kind of thing where he's just kind of crashing on the floor. And I just find watching his dancing to be so utterly delightful. He clears the floor very quickly, (laughs) no one else joins in, but he's just so all in and so committed to dancing. (laughs) And I think it's just exquisite every time I watch it that just makes me laugh hard out loud I find it delightful That's awesome. I was also trying to think about who in my workplace would be the parallel for that because I feel like it's not the department chair because that would be like the head of your department angela or something right he goes a step up so so I think it would be the dean of the college of <laughs> arts and Sciences yep. <laughs> and I thought if it's some work event, I get to see the dean dance like this. The joy that that is going to bring me about my workplace, I
0: would love it. Oh, man. Why don't we get to see our deans dance? Come on, deans. Come on. Come on. Stop, <laughs>
1: Dude, you're listening.
0: <laughs> Dancing is an ancient art form for expressing yourself with your body. Come on. <laughs>
1: exactly michael's taught us a lot i'll also just note seeing brenda's face in the background (laughs) (laughs) when michael is dancing is so great and i i thought at some points of how what must be going on in her head and how shocking is it to observe this guy although interestingly we never get an interview with her we just yeah we don't as others do but but yeah, so Michael earns the interpretive dance award. Dude. he really clean up?
0: Yeah, he did. I I I it never even occurred to me to include Brenda as a Dundee. I thought, you know, it's like, no, like she did nothing to
1: earn. Oh, I'm not giving her a dundee.
0: No, I know. I'm just saying I thought about I was like, who who would be my counterintuitive you oh, know, who would
1: be your usual pick? Yeah, you, you know, would I, like, pick you.
0: <laughs> I know, I would, right? Like.
1: Yeah, that's, I love like the
0: disdain in your voice. You're like, "Yeah, you would do that. <laughs> just to be cool and ironic," and yeah, yeah. Um, well, next episode we will be talking about the injury. Any, any on anything oh. I can keep in mind? Is this a good one?
1: This is a good one. This is a really good one, and we're gonna start the discussion right from the beginning next time. Oh, some very good content in that
0: opening. Oh, I'm, I'm very excited about this. All right. Well, everybody, just a reminder, uh, you should follow us on Instagram at office underscore hours underscore podcast, or on Twitter at office underscore HRS underscore pod. Uh, and you can always tweet or, uh, comment and, uh, ask questions and we'll address them on the podcast. So we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much for listening.
1: Bye.